All right. Well, as you guys find your seats, welcome again, church family, and welcome if you guys are visiting. If you don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Chris, and it's a real honor just to get to spend Christmas Eve with you guys. And we'll try to get you out here so you can get on with your festivities in about two or three hours. But um, <laughs> no, I'll try to be a lot quicker than that, you know, but I couldn't get out of here with just sharing uh, the, the, the good news of great joy, basically, that we're celebrating around this Christmas season and sharing the word with you guys. And as we start out, I just want to kind of challenge you guys with a question or make you think about something so you see that this is applicable to all of us that are here tonight, applicable to everyone in this world. And what I want to ask you is that, would you agree that all people in this world desire to be joyful or happy? Would you agree with that? Okay. And that's a constant desire, right? I mean, you constantly desire to be happy. I mean, can anyone honestly say in here that you wake up in the morning, you're like, I'm just going to have the most miserable day today. I'm going to make every wrong decision and, and, and just, yeah, I just want my day to just suck. No, nobody says that, right? Nobody, nobody sets out to accomplish that. We all want our lives to be joyful and happy. Now, even though that is our goal, that's a constant thing we're trying to accomplish. How many can, how many of you can honestly say that you're 100% happy and joyful all the time in your life. Nobody, right? We all struggle with that. We all have those moments of happiness and we have those moments of unhappiness. And I'm going to challenge you with a statement just, you know, as I'm kind of tracking through this and helping you guys understand how it's applicable to all of us. Would you agree? And if I'm wrong, go ahead and prove me wrong. I wouldn't be saying it though if I could be proven wrong. You can ask my wife. I'm always right. But um, having said that, is there anything in this world, or I'm just going to phrase it this way, there's nothing in this world that'll make you happy Hi, or joyful. Hi, I'm Siri. Choose the voice you'd like me to use. Of the time. Would you agree with that? All right. Even the, the good things that bring so much joy to your life, that bring happiness, like, you know, family, friends, um, hobbies, Christmas, I mean, there's a lot of joyful things we're celebrating now. Doritos, that's my ultimate favorite that brings me a lot of happiness. But even those things that bring us so much happiness, they also, often, the things that bring us the most happiness, often are the ones that also inevitably bring us unhappiness in our life as well, too. Would you guys agree with that? All right? The people in our lives that bring us the most happiness, they're also the ones that can make us most unhappy. Right? No, no, don't. Husbands, do not say anything. You do not want to sleep on your couch tonight. But the wives, yet wives are like, amen. <laughs> it's all right. No, people, right? Sometimes it's okay. It's not even a person's fault. I mean, we live in a, a sinful fallen world where we're subject to death. So sometimes those people we love so much, they leave us, right? Or they, they die or, or they, they, you know, something happens where they're not in our life anymore. Some of you guys are struggling with that right now, struggling to be happy at this time of the year where you have all these memories of people you love who are not here anymore. And that that's right. I mean, that's a hard thing to deal with. But inevitably, everything in this world, at some point or another, will, just like it makes us happy, it will also make us unhappy. Or it can't make us joyful 100% of the time. All right? Now, there is someone that can that is not of this world. That's what the Bible tells us, all right? Jesus actually tells us in Matthew 5, he spends a good chunk of it explaining to us how blessed are those who understand their need for God in their life. 
Or basically what he does is he associates blessing with having a personal relationship with God. And blessing in the original language that the New Testament was written in, in that section of scripture, actually literally translates to happy. So happy are those that understand their need of God in their lives, all right? In fact, in the passage we're going to look at tonight, a familiar passage. You guys have probably heard it. You've read it. Maybe you've heard some story told from it. We're going to actually look at what God says in his word. But this Christmas story, this account of Jesus being born, we are told in it, or the angels on God's behalf come and tell us this good news with the sole purpose or with the main purpose of it to produce great joy in our lives. All right? So I'm going to go ahead and read this, and then we'll kind of just talk about that idea of joy being found in God. So it says in verse 1, At that time the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. And this was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea. David's ancient home. And he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. And he took with him Mary to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. And that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And when the angels had uh, returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what this angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. And the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. And eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel even before he was conceived. Now, in this account of Jesus' birth, and, and you guys that were here on Sunday, this, some of this is going to sound a little familiar to you. I'm just recapping so everyone that wasn't here knows. But in this account of Jesus' birth, I want you to note there were basically three main aspects of this good news that the angels spoke of in verses uh, 10 through 14. And it, basically, they, they answered it in, in the form of answering three questions. Number one, who this good news was about. Number two, what this good news was intended to do for us. And number three, why this good news was necessary in our lives, all right? The, the who, what, or why of the good news. And as a church, we started on Sunday 
by answering that first question, basically who this good news was about. And just as a refresher, and if you weren't here, basically verse 11 tells us that the gospel, or good news, that's what gospel means, is about our Savior. And his name is Jesus, according to verse 21. And verse 11 tells us that um, basically there's two important aspects of Jesus that we need to know. Number one, we need to know who he is And number two, what he came to do. And in verse 11, it tells us who he is by telling us that he was born into this world, which speaks of his humanity. Basically, Jesus was a real person. He was a baby. You could touch him. People saw him. Historically, nobody argues with that, all right? But it also calls him Lord, which speaks of his deity. So he was human, but he was also God, okay? And verse 11 tells us what... God the Father sent his son to do in calling him Savior and Messiah. Messiah literally meaning anointed one. Basically, Jesus was the anointed one of God that was sent to save humanity. Okay? Now, if you're new to church, you might wonder, well, what is it I need to be saved from? Well, we talked about this on Sunday. We talked about how from the moment you were a baby, you understood that you need to be saved from something. That's why every time you felt fearful, that's why every time you felt cold, that's why you cry, that's why you yearn for love and affection. You learn to be safe and secure. It's ingrained with us on purpose because God wants us to go to him to be saved. And as we grow, we learn that we're not perfect people, that we fall short, that we, no matter how hard we try, make bad decisions and those bad decisions affect us and they affect other people. And ultimately what that called is, is, is sin. The Bible tells us that anytime we do something that opposite of what God says is good, we're, we sin. And we're all guilty of it. Everyone in this world is born a sinner. For those that would say that you're born inherently good and you just learn to be bad, that is not what history or that, that's really not true at all. And really, all you have to look at is an infant because if not for them being so helpless, they would tear everyone apart if they could when they throw a violent temper tantrum when they don't get their way. That's our nature. We have to be trained into what's good and what's bad. And the thing is, the Bible tells us we don't even know that ourselves. We need God to help us understand what is right and what is, right and what is wrong. That's why he gave us his word. And that's why he's preserved it through the ages. Everything in here is truth. We talked about on Sunday how there's over 300 prophecies fulfilled in Jesus alone and they couldn't have been faked because the earliest manuscripts of this word of God was written 250 years before Jesus came to fulfill them. So they couldn't have been faked. This is the only religious document that proves itself that way, that it is God's word because only God can correctly predict the future. But we needed to be saved from our sin. That was a problem. And, And what... The biggest part of that problem was that that sin of ours, which is referred to as unrighteousness in the Bible, separated us from a perfectly righteous God. Because see, God created you to have a loving relationship with him. He made you to know him. And yet people chose to rebel. They chose to disobey. Just like we see with our children. Just like when we were children. That's our nature. And so 
when we chose to disobey, it separated us from God because him being perfectly righteous also means he's perfectly just, which means that he can't be in the presence of sin without justly dealing with it. And what the Bible says the wages of sin is, or the penalty for sin is death. Now, that might seem kind of harsh at first, but if you really think about it, it's not because sin always leads to death. It might ultimately just start out with destruction and harm, but eventually you keep going down that road, it leads to death. Physical death, yes, that's why it's in this world. That too wasn't God's intent, but that's something sin brought into this world. But ultimately, even greater than that is what we call spiritual death. We're basically at the end of this life. You are separated from God in for eternity, forever, in a place of torment called hell. Basically, the greatest torment being the fact that you knew that all you had to do was receive this free gift of salvation through Jesus and you chose not to. And your sin remains to separate you from God for all eternity. So that's the problem. That's what we need to be saved from. Along with everything else harmful this world throws at us. And so God made it really easy knowing that there was no way we could save ourselves. He did everything he needed to do to save you in sending his son who was able to live a perfect sinless life because he was God which we couldn't do, and then die a death on a cross to pay the price for your sins. Basically, to take upon himself all the sins of mankind because he was sinless, but he who knew no sin became sin, as the Bible says, so that we could be forgiven. And the way we were forgiven is we humble ourselves and we acknowledge that I'm not perfect. That's me. I'm a sinner. I keep making mistakes. I can't live my life and, and and obviously i don't know what's right so i need god to forgive me i need i need that forgiveness that jesus paid for on that cross and you invite him into your life you receive that free gift of salvation and then what it says is you get god's or jesus's righteousness he imparts it on you he takes your sin you get his righteousness god sees you as perfect as you could ever be you guys don't sound too excited about that that's the greatest that's the greatest gift you could ever receive Because whereas the gifts you're going to get this Christmas and the gifts you get in this world are great for a moment, they're not going to last forever. That will last forever. And that will lead you out of this world that day by day is growing harder and harder to live in into eternity in a place of perfection called heaven with God never to leave his side again. And there's nothing at all you could have done and there's nothing you could do to earn that. You don't deserve it. God is honest about that. He came to save you when you were at your worst. And it was all by God's grace. Unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. Because of his great love for you, he did that. Amen? All right. That's the good news. That's the good news, all right? Now, the rest of the time, I just want to talk about what that good news was intended to do for us. And the answer to that is in verse 10. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. So the purpose of the gospel... Or this good news about Jesus coming to save us is that it would be bring great joy to your life. As I pointed out at the beginning of this message, every single one of us is constantly seeking to be happy and joyful in our lives. And I'd feel confident in saying that every single decision you make daily in some way or another is because you want to be happy. As I said before, you're not going around and you're not making decisions even though sometimes we, we see that, you know, in other people and in our kids, like, well, that's the stupidest decision you could have made. You don't 
willingly or knowingly do that. You don't make decisions to bring bad things upon your life. You're trying to be happy. But the problem is, even if you could make all the right choices, which the Bible says you can't, but hopefully there's no one here that actually thinks that. If you do, just look at your spouse. They'll tell you you don't make all the right choices. But having said that, if you eat, could, let's just hypothetically say you could, the problem is no matter, even if you made all the right choices, you'd still be affected by everyone else's bad choices around you. And you shouldn't have to like really think to understand that. How many, I mean, we've all been affected by other people's bad choices in some way or another. It should be really easy to see in the climate we live in today where there's constant choices being made for us that we don't agree with, that we don't like, and they affect us in a negative way. That's the problem. We live in a sinful, fallen world. The bad things that happen to it, God gets the blame for it, but not rightfully so because he's not doing it. It's a result of sin. Our sin, other people's sin. That's why this world has fallen. That's why we face all these things that we don't like. And it's inevitable. If your joy is dependent on things in this world, it's always going to waver. Because when things are going the way you want, guess what? You're going to be happy. But when they're not going the way you want, you're not going to be happy. Can you guys agree with that? That's my daily life in a nutshell, right? Yet the Bible tells us there is a way to have persistent joy. In your life doesn't mean everything's going to go right. What it means is, is that even when things are going wrong, God gives you a reason to still be joyful. All right. But it can only be found in the presence of or in a relationship with the Lord. Psalm 1611, the psalmist writes, talking to God, you make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore how many of you guys would say that uh the loving relationships in your life that you have maybe with your spouses with your kids your families they bring you joy right do right it's okay the the answer is not not a hard question it brings you joy yes uh, yes with what i said before there are times of unhappiness but overall it brings you joy Husbands, you do not want to be sleeping on the couch. You look to your wife and you tell her, you bring, babe, you bring me joy all the time. All right? All right. So, but in a loving relationship, you're, you're joyful because that person loves you. They make you happy. That's why you're with them. You know, but here's the thing. With God, the Bible talks about in 1 John that there is a love that he has for you that's perfect in every way. None of us are capable of having that perfect love for each other. It's always affected by emotions and just like our, our wrong reactions and stuff to things when people do things wrong, inadvertently or not. It's just, it, it's not perfect, but God's love is perfect. God's love is unconditional. You can't out mess up or you can't do so many things wrong that somehow you fall out of his good graces. That's the idea of grace. You don't deserve it. You never earned it, but he chooses to show his favor to you. He chooses to love you. Bible says he he showed his love for you and that he saved you when you were at your worst, when you were in your sin, when you weren't even looking for him, when you were in rebellion against him. That's when he showed his love for you and sending his son to die for you. All right. They say that you you can show how much something's worth by how much you're willing to give for it. Well, you were worth that much to God. He gave his son for you. All right. So here's the thing. All right. Bible tells us. In that loving relationship, that perfect loving relationship that's unconditional and sacrificial, that's where you're going to find a fullness of joy. 
Not a partial joy, like a complete joy where you're going to find pleasure that lasts forever in that relationship. And this is why the message these angels had was such good news, because Jesus saving us from our sin is what allows us to have a relationship with God and experience this great joy he intends for us. Now, talking to the Christians here, because I don't want to send you guys home with just this reminder. I mean, it's a reminder. We all need to be reminded of this. But having said that, I want to I want to help you here, because even though for us that have believed in Jesus, how often are we happy all the time? None of us, right? I mean, I, I, I've been a believer for 20 years. I got saved radically when I was in college. And I am so thankful for that. And I love the Lord. And I have those moments of joy. But I also still have those moments of unhappiness, right? Would you guys agree? Christians in here. We still struggle with that from time to time, okay? And I believe... So, like, the the best way to learn... it. it there's a lot of things in, in, in your Christian walk with the Lord, in your life spent with Jesus, where you have to learn them over your, your lifespan. Basically, that you don't get everything. How many of you guys have read the Bible and you're just like, oh yeah, that's great, I get that. I totally live in that, experience that in my life. We don't do that, right? We have to learn it. Just like a child has to learn and be trained and raised up, we have to learn that as God's children, okay? And so we're learning these things. And this tells me the fact that we're not joyful all the time. This is something that we're learning, that God is trying to teach us. And the best way to learn things is always with God's word. This is our instruction manual. This is the only truth we can be absolutely sure of in the world, all right? And so we go to this to help us. And I believe God most certainly tells us the key to experiencing this great joy that, that comes with believing the good news about him when he's telling us what it truly means to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, if you guys aren't familiar with that word, a disciple is somebody that not only, you know, basically says that I'm a follower of this person, but it's somebody that mimics somebody, somebody that I want to base my life after that person. So to be a disciple of Jesus is I, I want to follow, I want to be like him. I want my life to pattern after him. And he tells us what that entails in Matthew 16, 24, he says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. So there's three statements. There are three things that he kind of points out you have to do if you truly want to follow him, if you want to mimic him, if you want to be his disciple. Number one, you have to give up your own way. You have to surrender your will to his will. Number two, you have to take up your cross. That means you have to accept his will in your life. A cross being something that wasn't pleasant, if you know the crucifixion story of Jesus. It wasn't something he enjoyed. It was something he was willing to endure because of his great love for you, for the joy set before him, for that future joy of knowing what it would lead to. He didn't enjoy the beating, the whipping, the being nails driven in his hands and feet. That wasn't an enjoyment for him. So, Taking up your cross is accepting his will in your life, even if at the moment it's not enjoyable, okay? And then the third thing, following him. And in order to follow someone, you got to obey, obedience. So there's three things, all right? Three keys to experiencing the great joy Jesus intends for you in your life is that you, we need to learn to surrender, accept, and obey the will of the Lord in our life, okay? So... Here's the thing I want to summarize or kind of go through these just really quickly. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're struggling with being happy, the first question you need to ask yourself is, are you surrendered to his will in your life? Or are you adamant 
that things have to be your way. Which Jesus said you have to give up to be his disciple. See, the first step to putting your faith in Jesus is being humble enough to understand that you're not perfect. That you don't always make good decisions. That you do do things wrong. That you need someone to save you. That you need someone to help you. You need someone to guide you. And in that humility, you'll also understand that, you know what? I don't always know everything. I make bad decisions sometimes. You know what? I certainly don't know more than the all-knowing God who knows the past, present, and future, who's numbered my days and knows his plan for me. So I better like surrender to him. I better really look to him to lead me in life. All right? And if, if we're struggling with happiness, if we're struggling with joy because of things not going our way, that's a good first thing to check. Am I surrendered to what is going on in my life with the God who says he loves me, says he's working all things for my good, says he's got a good plan for me, says he's all powerful and sovereign, so he's in control of everything. He's not the author of evil. He's not making bad things happen to you. Nevertheless, the bad things that do happen to you because you live in a fallen world, he's in control of them. And his promise is he's going to work them for your good. All these things we learn from his word and it allows us to surrender. So that's the first thing we check. Second thing, if you're struggling with happiness as a Christian, have you accepted the circumstances in your life? See, or like basically when things aren't going the way you like, are you accepting of that or have you taken up your cross? Basically understood that, you know what? This is not preferable. I would not choose this for myself, but... I accept it because I trust that God's in control. See, every time something happens in your life that you wouldn't wish upon yourself, that you don't like, you have two choices. You're either going to accept it or you're going to reject it. In essence, if you're rejecting it, you're rebelling against God. Now, here's here's what I want to make clear. By you accepting it, you're in no way saying you would wish this upon yourself. You're in no way saying, oh, yeah, I, I want to have cancer. I want that loved one to leave me or, you know, or, or be sick that's not what you're saying. And by accepting it, it's not going to necessarily make it any easier to go through. You still probably are going to, it's going to be difficult. You're going to have pain and, and, and suffering. But by accepting it, basically what you're acknowledging is, you know what? I have no control over this. There is nothing I can do to change my circumstances. And ultimately what that does is it forces you to give it to God. It forces you to look to him to help you. It forces you to look to him to comfort you. It it allows you to trust it to him. And the important part of that is that he's given you a hope to cling to in saying that no matter what has happened, he's got it under control. No matter what is going on, he's working it for your good. You might not see it at that moment. But the reality is, at some point, maybe at the end of your life when you're in heaven, maybe before then, you will see that he kept his promise and he used it to your benefit. And that's where faith comes in. You, understanding you don't have control, give it to him and trust him with it. Now, the other important thing to remember is that understanding that if you choose to rebel against it, if you choose to like not accept it, that doesn't make things any better, right? It doesn't change your circumstances. Often what it leads to is anger and bitterness and hurt, which are all horrible feelings. Do we like feeling that way? No. Nobody does. God in his grace has saved you from having to feel that way because what he says is, here, you give it to me 
And I will not only get you through it, I will help you, I will comfort you. And at the end of this, you're going to see it, it, it wasn't wasted. In essence, what God has done for us is he has taken every single horrible thing in this world that the enemy that's in control of it, that's been allowed to control it for a time, means to kill, steal from you, and destroy you with. And in his sovereign power, he said, no, I'm going to use it for your benefit. And that's what Paul means when he says in Romans, you're more than a conqueror. You're the victorious. At the end of your life, you will stand victorious in Jesus Christ. You have to have the faith to believe that now, but you will. So you have been given no reason whatsoever not to accept everything that's happening in your life. Third and lastly, are you obeying the Lord? If, if you're struggling with happiness, you need to ask yourself if you're obeying the Lord or you're following him as Jesus says. You can't follow Jesus unless you're obeying. And what God or Jesus tells us in, in Luke eleven twenty eight, he says, but even more blessed or happy in the Greek are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Or basically happiness always comes with obedience to God's word. It's humbling yourself and understanding that God is good. So everything he says is good. And so if somehow what you want to do or Basically, you, you don't understand something, but it's what God says is good and right. He's always right and we're always wrong. And you don't have to understand or you don't have to agree to obey. You don't think that's true? Isn't that what you tell your kids all the time? Why? You don't need to know why. You just need to know that I'm older than you and I've been through a lot more and I only I love you and I only want good for you. So just do it. God, to an even greater degree, can say that because he's lived a lot longer than us. And he doesn't make mistakes, which we're prone to sometimes. But all that to say is blessing always comes with obedience. So those three things, those are the keys to experiencing the great joy Jesus intends for you in your life. Are you surrendered? Are you accept? Have you accepted? Are you obedient to the will of the Lord in your life? And here's a great example of somebody that did this in God's word in Jesus' mother, Mary. Because in Luke 1, if you're familiar with it, God sends an angel to tell her, here's what's going to happen. They give her a heads up. And in that culture, this is a little hard to understand if you don't know historical context, because in in the culture we live in today, this wouldn't be such a scandalous thing. But in that culture, for a woman, a young girl that was betrothed, basically... It was an arranged marriage, and that was as good as being married. It was like a a legal agreement. She was betrothed to be married to a man. For her to get pregnant before they consummated that marriage, that would have been considered adultery. And the penalty for adultery could have been being stoned to death. So here, this angel of the Lord is telling her, here's what God wants you to do. You're going to become pregnant. I haven't consummated my marriage. That's all right. You're not going to do that until after this baby is born. Well, what are people going to think? I mean, I could die for this. Even if they didn't kill her, the fact that she had a baby out of wedlock would make her somebody that nobody would want to marry. And to not have a husband in that culture would mean a life of poverty and, and rejection by society. I mean, it, it, was, it was every worldly reason in her mind would be like, no, I don't want this. This isn't good. This isn't what I planned. But her response to what the angel told her 
what God wanted her to do in Luke one thirty eight was, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Her, her response shows she was surrendered to the Lord's will over her own, that she accepted her circumstances, even if they weren't ideal, what she would choose for herself, and that she wanted to be obedient first and foremost to what the Lord wanted with her life. And here's the thing. If you know the story, a short while later, she is filled with joy. Joy even before seeing anything that God said, because God said this would be a blessing to her, but even before seeing that, just in faith and trusting him, she's filled with joy, and she writes one of the most amazing worship songs that forever is in God's word for us to enjoy. All right? I'm going to read it just to hear it. In Luke 1, 46 through 55, Mary says, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel or God's people and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Amen. Amen. Her being surrendered to and accepting of and obedient to the Lord's will in her life allowed her to recognize all that she gained in him and all that she would gain in, gain in him. And that, because she could see it so clearly, because she was surrendered and accepted and obedient, she could see everything that she gained through God, through her faith in God. And it far outweighed anything that she might lose and not things not working out the way she thought was best. And that's the key. When we're surrendered, when we're, when we're accepting, when we're obedient, you're able to see all that God has given you and it far outweighs anything you think you might lose. And you know what that leads to? It leads to great joy in your life. It led to great joy in hers. It'll lead to great joy in yours. And if you look to Jesus for that joy with being surrendered to and accepting of and obedient to his will for you, you will have that joy too. And guess what else will come with that joy? Because they go hand in hand, peace. You see a whole world with no peace right now. You can have joy and peace that never goes away, that's lasting. But we're gonna talk about that on Sunday. So you'll have to come back to hear that, all right? Now, as I mentioned, this is a constant for all of us. We're all looking to be happy. We're all looking to be joyful. But within that constant, there's a variable. And that variable is, what are, where are you looking for joy? Because there's a whole bunch of things you could be looking to in this life for joy and happiness. And here's the thing. There's a lot of good things God's given you to make you joyful and happy. It's not wrong to look to those things. All right? The things that I mentioned in the beginning. Every good and perfect gift, as I prayed earlier, is from above. It's from God. It's meant to bring joy and happiness to your life. He's a good God. He's given it to you. But the one thing you need to be looking for joy in above anything else is in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Because then when the adversity hits, which inevitably it will, you can still have joy in him. Because he is the one person that you can always count on. 
you can always rely on, that will always be there for you, that will only do things that he knows in his sovereign power will benefit you in life. Christmas without Christ, it's just M-A-S. It's just must, whatever that is. It's not the same thing. And it's just like if you spend Christmas without Jesus at the center of it, you'll be happy. There's fun things at Christmas, but as soon as those fun things are over, your joy will be gone. And the thing is, for a believer, Christmas isn't just a one-day thing. We celebrate the birth of Jesus, the good news, and the joy it's brought us every single day of our lives. Amen? Amen. And what these shepherds did after receiving this news and seeing for themselves how real Jesus was, they go away and they worship and they pray. So that's what we're going to do the rest of this evening. All right? Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for this great news you've given us that has brought in us such joy in our lives. I specifically pray for anyone here that has not received you as their Lord and Savior, that tonight they would make that declaration. They would turn from their sin and they would turn to you and they would accept that free gift of forgiveness that you have offered them through your son and believing in him and asking him to come into their life and be Lord. I pray for any of us that are believers that are struggling with joy tonight, that these words from your word would, would resonate in us. If, if we're not surrendered, if we're not accepting, if we're not obedient, that we would simply just go to you and, and give whatever, surrender whatever it is to you and trust you with it. We'd accept whatever our circumstances, trusting you with it. We'd obey whatever you're telling us to do so that we could see all of the good that you've done, that you are doing and that you're going to do and rejoice in our relationship with you, our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.